I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for the sermon this morning. We are going to look together at one verse in the longest chapter of the longest book of the Bible, Psalm 119. We'll read together verse 33. I'm going to take just a second while we're turning there, if you'll indulge me. And I'm going to tease someone in the congregation this morning because she has it coming. It's time for the sermon, so Lydia, you can start eating your Fruit Loops and knitting. (laughs) I warned her not to pick on me, so. (laughs) All right, let's read together our passage for this morning. Psalm... 119, and we'll read verse 133. This is God's holy word for us, his people, this morning. God's word says, Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. This is God's holy and powerful word. Let's ask him to bless our time in the word. Father, this is indeed your word, and you alone have the words of eternal life. So speak, O Lord. Speak your word into our hearts and lives and change them to resemble Christ, to be more faithful and obedient, to have a more steady walk with you. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the jobs of a pastor is to be available to his congregation for pastoral counseling. Pastoral counseling is not like clinical counseling. I do not offer pastoral therapy. I'm not qualified to do that. I'm no professional. My task as a pastor is to listen closely and carefully to the myriad problems, pressures, and maladjustments of ordinary Christians just like me. And my job, my goal, my hope and prayer is to offer them the hope of the gospel, the encouragement of a fellow believer, the guidance of Scripture, and then whatever insights the Holy Spirit may be pleased to reveal to us in the process of conversation and prayer as we struggle with the problems that vex and challenge us. I've had the privilege on a few occasions in my short time being here at the Forks to engage in this process of what sometimes we call soul care with a couple, a few members here at the church. In these meetings, once we begin to dig down beneath the symptoms to the root of the problems, we usually come back to some form of temptation. The temptations, both for those who I've talked to and for all of us, The temptations are of many different kinds and take many different forms. We usually have one or two things that pop in our heads when we think about the word temptation. But really, 
we can be tempted by a vast array of things. And what one person struggles with may not be the same as what another person struggles with. And I have found this to be true in my life. When I have made what I think is sort of a New Year's resolution, okay, I'm going to step on some toes here, I'm sure, mine included, Uh, When I've made like a New Year's resolution or I've a firm decision, I'm going to stop doing this or give that up or whatever, walk away from this, that is the specific way I will be tested immediately after that decision. That will be the thing that I hadn't dealt with this in I don't know how long, no temptation, but it's just something I want to stop doing, giving up the donuts downstairs or something. The second you give them up, the one you like the best will have a light glowing from it. Yeah? Yeah? It's not just me, is it? (laughs) Not that I'm giving up donuts. (laughs) But the temptations can be vast, and they can be from simple, silly things all the way down to the real, ugly, moral challenges that we all face. And what you deal with, someone else might find a piece of cake. Easy. Can't see why you deal with that. And then, but then what they deal with, you might feel the same way. I can't believe that's a temptation. I've never struggled with that. And so there's just a wide array of things that we deal with. But what's common? What is common in all temptations is that our susceptibility to temptation comes from areas of moral weakness and spiritual vulnerability. We have weaknesses, and then we find ourselves in conditions, scenarios, circumstances where we, where those weaknesses are highlighted and we become vulnerable to fall right then and there. Time and opportunity stirs up our weaknesses and our flesh like nothing else. The availability of that thing we're tempted by makes it feel so much more powerful. When Eve was on the other side of the garden, that fruit, not that interesting. But standing right in front of it and looking at it and listening to a voice other than God's, the serpent's voice, all of a sudden, Genesis says, she saw that it was desirable. And all of us have the serpent coiled around our hearts whispering its voices. Has God really said, you won't face the consequences. How about just a nibble? And it's the nibbles that get us. The flirtation with the fruit is enough. And before we know it, we've devoured the whole thing. We have an enemy. Sometimes it's ourselves, but there's also a spiritual power and force and enemy that knows what those weaknesses are. And he's had a long time to get very skilled and insightful at playing on our weaknesses and making it seem like a good idea. This is at the bottom of the things we struggle with. And every last one of us is afflicted with, with the same maladies of the soul. Spiritual weakness, moral weakness, and vulnerability. Everyone here, no matter what it is you struggle with, all of us are familiar with guilt, failure, regret, and the, the feeling of just being stuck in something that we know we should have walked away from a long time ago. 
what we need is a plan. We need a plan to address the underlying cause that makes us susceptible to whatever your particular temptations happen to be. In every counseling relationship I've had, whether it was here or years ago as I was training and, and learning, in every counseling relationship, I recommend memorizing a verse of Scripture that you can turn to every day and have ready every time you face a temptation. That verse is our passage this morning. And I want to tell you something. I have personally seen other people use this verse, and I've seen that it works. I've watched and observed it empirically. And I have watched and seen this verse work for me personally in my own experience. I've used this verse for for years with myself and others, and I can tell you firsthand that it works. We're not dealing with a placebo effect. We're not dealing with some kind of wish fulfillment or psychology. We're using a verse to tap into real spiritual power that is available to us if we'll just access it. This verse is the key to maintaining a steady walk with the Lord. So I want us to consider together what this verse is saying and how it can help us protect ourselves in those areas of moral weakness and spiritual vulnerability. By relying on this verse, I am convinced that you can overcome your temptations, whatever they might be, in whatever area, and you, you individually, you singular, you personally sitting there, you can overcome, you can overcome your temptations, and you can find victory over many of the problems that plague our lives disturb our minds and distort our hearts and damage our relationships with God and with others. The key is to maintain a steady walk with the Lord. And this verse tells us how to do it. So let's, let's take a look at it together. The first thing this verse teaches us to do to maintain and to have a steady walk with the Lord is it tells us Watch your step. Watch your step. Psalm 119, 133 is about avoiding the power of sin that seeks to ensnare us. It tells us that there really is something that we should be on the lookout for and vigilant against. As you know, I went to seminary for nine years. Nine years. And I did not, I was not one of those students who liked to talk a lot in class, 
because there was always somebody in class that just annoyed me to no end who would just, he, he always had a question or he always knew the answer and he just, his hand just stayed in the air for the whole hour of class, just constantly wanted to talk. And I just didn't want to be that guy. Even if I knew the answer sometimes, I would just keep it to myself because I'm like, I just, I, I just didn't want to be any attention on me. And so I never really spoke up that much in class. I mean, sometimes. But there was one time, one time and one time only in nine years, two different seminaries, that I had an argument with a professor in class. And I'm proud to say I wiped the floor with him. <laughs> Don't ask him. He might tell you a different story. But I feel like, I feel like I really, really, you know, flexed my muscles on him that day. So here's what we were talking about. We were talking about Psalm 23. And I made the point in class, as we were discussing it back and forth, I did a little presentation on Psalm 23, and we were talking about it. And the professor corrected something I said. I had said that Psalm 23 is about, it teaches us how to face fearful odds fearlessly. To face fearful odds fearlessly. Even though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, that stuff. And he said, that's not what that psalm's teaching. He said, that psalm is telling us that, yeah, you're afraid. You're just, you're fearful, but you shouldn't be. There's nothing really to be afraid of at all. Nothing to be fearful of. And I, and I said, well, that's, I said, uh, you know, with respect, that's obviously not what it says. All right, and thus went the argument. That is not what it says. I said, even though this guy's walking through the valley of the shadow of death itself, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And he says, I will fear no evil. He doesn't say there's no evil to fear. I kicked his butt. That's absolutely, <laughs> I mean, he had no chance. And, 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 to validate me, my classmates who were looking at me say this in my, you know, still developing preacher voice to the professor, uh, they all kind of like nodded along, and then they all looked back at him. And he just went, let's just move on. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah, move on is right. You don't want a piece of this. That's right. I don't talk much in class, and you better be glad. Psalm 23 is explicitly, in my humble but obviously correct opinion, is about facing fearful odds fearlessly. There are real enemies around the table. There is real evil. There's a real valley with real shadows of real death that the Lord is shepherding his people through. Not around, through. There are things in this world and in life and in my dark heart to be fearful of. There are fearful odds that we face. And the Psalm 23 is about learning how to face them fearlessly. It's in the face of all these things we should be afraid of. We don't have fear. How? Why? Where does that come from? Well, the Lord is my shepherd. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. That's how. That's what that psalm's about. And this verse, 
sounds very hopeful. Keep steady my steps according to your word. Let no... But do you notice there's a real enemy lurking, hunting down, pursuing the psalmist. And that's why he says, do not let sin have dominion over me. There are real things to fear. And there is real sin and a real enemy and real flesh and real fallenness and real darkness in my sinful heart to watch out for. I need to be on the lookout in life. I need to watch my step. It's like God told Cain in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. Cain and Abel, brothers born from Adam and Eve, they both bring a sacrifice to worship God. One brings the first fruits of his garden, that's Cain. Abel brings an animal sacrifice. And God says, I, I like Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's. And it says, Cain became angry. His face was fallen. And God comes to him and says, Cain, why is your face fallen? Why is your countenance so down? Why this scowl on your face? If you do well, you'll be accepted. You just gave me the sacrifices that I don't want. Bring me the worship I want. And you'll be accepted. Easy. Just listen to me and stop doing what you think is right in your own eyes. And then he says to Cain, he gives him a warning. God says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you, but you must master it. You must prevail over it. And we know what happens next. Cain opens the door wide open. And he embraces that sin that wanted him. He let it come in and he let it drive him into the field where he murders his brother in cold blood. Cain had an opportunity to lock the door, bar the door, put stuff in front of the door, get away from the door where sin was crouching. But Cain opened the door. He invited, not God, but sin to have dominion over him. And there is sin lurking and creeping and crouching around all of our hearts at the door. And its desire is to bring you under its dominion. It wants to feed on your soul. That's what it likes to eat. It devours holiness for breakfast. That's what it eats. Just like we can nibble at temptation, sin nibbles at our sanctification. And it bites and it chews and it picks. And we so often fail to resist it and in fact open the door and welcome it in. Because our flesh wants that door open wide. And so there is stuff to be fearful of. Because not only can we do this, all of us have done this with some sin at some point in our lives. We know what that door is. We know what that sin looks like. We know what's at stake. We know what it costs. This passage speaks of sin as iniquity, it says. Let no iniquity 
get dominion over me. Iniquity is the malady in our own souls caused by sin's corruption. People seek counseling often because they feel that they are in the grip of something they know they can no longer manage. Whether it's pastoral counseling, spiritual counseling, Christian counseling, or just regular old therapy counseling for, you know, whatever. People go to counseling for all sorts of reasons, and one of the frequent reasons is is because they're in the grip of something that they know they can't manage anymore, not by themselves. And they got to talk to somebody, and they need some kind of help. There is such a thing as being under the dominion of sin. When your iniquities become too overwhelming for you to handle anymore, you become what Paul calls a slave to sin. And that is a very unforgiving bondage to be in. The psalmist says, keep steady my steps. And he says that because he knows he needs to watch his step. He says that because the ground is uneven. He says that because the terrain on the path of life is treacherous. And our feet can easily slip. That's why we so often fall morally, spiritually, and relationally. Sin's aim is to trip you up and bring you under its dominion. So you must watch your step. You got to watch your step by being aware of the seriousness of sin. It's crouching at the door, and its desire is to make you its plaything. Be aware of the seriousness of sin. Be aware of the susceptibility of your own weaknesses. Know what they are and where they are and what aggravates them. Guard your heart and mind fearlessly and fiercely by walking in the fear of the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord so that you can avoid temptation as much as you can. You've got to protect your mind and you've got to protect your heart and you've got to protect the situations and scenarios where you allow yourself to be so you can avoid that temptation as much as you can. You've got to protect those weak spots. And you've got to pay attention to what you do. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to to what you're doing. Pay attention to how you feel. Pay attention to what you're thinking. How's your pattern of thinking going? How are you allowing your mind to wander down the certain paths? Pay attention to yourself, to what you're doing, how you're feeling, what you're thinking. Pay attention to your motives and your attitudes. Pay attention to your level of motivation and moral and spiritual fatigue. If you are feeling spiritually spent, you need help. It's normal. (laughs) It's part of brokenness. Sometimes we have energy to fight the fight of faith, and sometimes we just don't have it in us. And you know this in your daily life when it comes to physical and mental awareness and strength. It's like, today I just can't do this. I can't deal with this again today because it's been a long day, or I didn't get enough sleep, or I missed my coffee, and it's just, this is too much. 
and you can feel yourself drained and spent. Pay attention to those things when you're being fatigued, when you're tiring out morally and spiritually. It's time to get help. You got to watch your step. You got to watch your step so you can walk steady with the Lord. That's the first thing this passage teaches us. The second thing this passage, this verse teaches us to do, if we want to walk steady with the Lord, we got to watch our step. And number two, we have to lean on the promises. Lean on the promises of God. Notice something here in our verse. The psalmist is not speaking to himself. Sometimes the psalmist does that. Like, was it Psalm 46 or one of those where, he, where the psalmist is talking to his own soul? It was like, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you dismayed? Hope in God. Right? Sometimes the psalmist preaches a sermon to himself and says, you've got to hope in God and here's why. That's in the Psalms, but that's not what this verse is. These words are not addressed to the soul or to the self. This is not a verse about self-help and self-motivation. These words are addressed to God. This verse is a prayer. And that is very instructive for us. We certainly, on our end, we must, as much as, as it is up to us, as much as, in we, as much as we can, we have to watch our step as we live each day. But the source of victory and the source of the power to vanquish sin and not come under its dominion, that does not come from our own resources. We must find the moral and spiritual resources to overcome sin and temptation in God, not in self. And to do that, we have to do what this verse is. We have to pray. We have to be in prayer. Not once in a while, but steady. A steady walk with the Lord includes a steady life of prayer. What should we pray for? Specifically on this issue, what should we pray for? Well, this passage tells us to pray that God will keep His Word and fulfill the promises He has made to us. You see what it says? In this prayer to God, he says, Keep steady my steps according to your promise. There it is. God, please keep steady my steps according to your promise. As you've said in your word, so do in my life. Power for the struggle against sin and temptation and victory to master sin and bring it under our dominion has been promised to you and is available to you by God. It's not something we're twisting God's arm for and saying, oh, please do this thing that you never said you would do, but that I want you to do. No, it's just taking God's promises and reminding Him. So often in the Old Testament, in the Bible, prayer is just reminding God of His Word, and not because we think He's forgotten, but because we're claiming those promises and saying, God, right here you said this, and you are true to your Word. Keep it. And then just laying hold of that promise through prayer. 
We don't just sit back and coast through life and just expect, well, God will keep his word. He's faithful and just, you know, as though there's nothing for us to do but sit back and coast. No, we have to lay hold of his promises. And we do that when we remind him of those promises and we claim those promises in prayer. Now, we can't just claim any old thing. I mean, that's part of this prosperity gospel that's just the name it and claim it stuff. Yeah, the blab it and grab it stuff. (laughs) And that's not how it works. If God's grace didn't promise it, your claim can't get it. But we claim what God has promised us. And so we got to know what he's promised, right? We can't claim promises we don't know. We can't remind God of promises we haven't been reminded of or never learned to begin with. And so this calls us to know what these promises are, to be in them, to have them ready at hand, to call out in prayer to God. Well, what are some of those promises? Well, we read about those earlier in the service. In Jeremiah, we read about this promise that's ours in the new covenant. Jeremiah 32, where, the pro- where God speaking through the prophet says, I will give them, his people, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. Jeremiah 32, 40. Stamp it into your brain. Jeremiah 32, 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not Turn from me. And then verse 42, I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Oh, Christian, you've got to make that part of the very fiber and fabric of your, of your prayer life. You've got to say, Lord, you promised to make with me an eternal covenant that cannot end and cannot be broken. And you promised to put reverence and awe for you in my heart, the fear of the Lord in my heart. It's not something I have to cook up on my own. It's something God promises to put down in the heart, down in the soul. And so we claim it, we call out for it and say, God, this is your promise. Put the fear of you in my heart so that I will not turn away. I will not open that door where sin is crouching. I will not be under its dominion. It will not make me its slave. It will not be my master. The fear of you will be in my heart because you've promised it. And then you pray for it. If it's something you have to pray for, then it's a gift you have to receive. It's something that only God can give you. If it's something you have to pray for, that means it's a gift you have to ask for. And it's something that God has that he really can give you. So ask him. Call out for him. In prayer, keep steady my steps according to Jeremiah 32, 40 and know what it is. 
You don't have to memorize it word for word, but know the gist. Know that it's a promise that God will keep his fear in your heart so you will not turn away back into the life of sin and be lost. That's your only hope for a steady walk with the Lord. Also, Paul in Romans 6 in our New Testament reading says, Sin shall not have dominion over you because you've died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. And His life-giving power is in your soul and available to you. And you're under His grace. And so sin cannot be your master. So stop presenting your members to sin as though you belonged to it. Present yourself to God as those who've been brought out of death into life. That's what Paul says. So pray Jeremiah 32, 40 prayers. Pray Romans 6, 14 prayers. We have to know what these promises are if we're going to use them. I mean, once we know what they are, we have to pray for their fulfillment. Pray for their fulfillment. And then, once we know what the promise is, and once we've started praying for them, then we have to say amen and get up and go live life, and those temptations will assail you. Remember, when I've made a firm decision to give up one thing, that's the very thing I'll be tempted to do about five minutes later. The next day, the next week, I'll just get bombarded with that that thing I said I'm not going to do anymore. So just be ready. Watch your step. Learn these promises and then lean on them, which means when the temptation comes, when the situation is there, when it's time to fight and keep the door closed on sin... You use these promises. You think about them in the moment. You actually pull them out and say, the fear of God is in my heart. I will not turn away because God has promised and he is faithful. And then you step away from it. You step away from the temptation. You avoid it. You win a victory over it. It might be a small battle. might be a big battle. But you win it. And you win the next one. And you win the next one. And you feel yourself growing stronger and stronger. And you're like, there's this resource that I'm drawing from. There's this strength and power that really is there. I really see myself getting the upper hand. And then you give God all the glory for that. Because it's Him keeping His word. It's just you claiming the promises, but he's the one fulfilling them. He's the one keeping his word. It's his power you're drawing on. It's not yours. We have to know what the promises are. We have to pray for the promises fulfillment, and then we have to use the promises in the middle of the fight when the temptations assail us. Paul says, does he not, in Ephesians 6, the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. That's the thing you go to battle with. That's the thing you hack and cut down the enemy with. You pull out that sword, and that sword is verses of the Bible that you know. Again, I'm not saying it has to be word for word. You don't have to memorize all of Jeremiah. But having a few key biblical words, phrases, concepts that are promises in your heart ready to go. Because sometimes you don't have time to pull out your phone and look up. What was that promise again where I'm not supposed to? Sometimes you don't, you don't have time to Google that. Sometimes you just need it right there. Have it ready to go. The sword on your belt. Shh, ready to go. At a moment's notice. Because you've got to watch your step. Lean on these promises. Know them. 
pray them, use them. And I'm telling you, I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in other people's. You will see for yourself and you will feel your walk with the Lord begin to steady. You will tap into the powerful divine resources available to you for everyday living. We have to watch our step, lean on the promises, and finally, this verse teaches us to follow the leader. Follow the leader. This passage points beyond itself to the one who has already traversed the path with a perfectly steady walk with God. In the Gospels, we get to watch how Psalm 119, 133 gets put into practice in a real human life. And it happens to be the life of our Savior who lives without sin and who did this perfectly. Because of all people on this planet who have ever lived, sin has never been more hungry to devour someone than the Christ, than the Messiah. We see Jesus in the wilderness facing direct assault from the devil himself trying his best to trick and trap Jesus to get him to sin. Just one little sin and mission is aborted. That's all he needed. And remember the final temptation was, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you the world. Satan wanted dominion over him. And he wasn't just crouching at the door. He was busting down the door, trying everything he could do to get Jesus to fail and fall. And what did we see the master do? He responded time after time after time by pulling out a passage of the Bible that he had in his head and in his heart. And he says, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but thus says the Lord. And he defeated that temptation. And he did it over and over and over. And if you're like me, the longer you, you resist a temptation, the stronger it starts to feel. You're just like, oh, I'm going to put it off. I'm not going to do it. And then it's, it's still there. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay. And then it's still there. And, it's, and it just presses harder and harder until you have to get over that tipping point where it starts to release. <laughs> Imagine Jesus who never once sinned. He faced the full brunt, the full force and fury of everything the devil could throw at him. And he overcame it. How did he do that? He lived in full surrender to the Father. And he pulled out the word of his Father. And he said, my Father says this. And he claimed those promises. If you want to see somebody whose steps were steady and who never was under the dominion of sin... It's Jesus. Watch him conquer sin and you go and do the same, drawing on his power, not your own, claiming these promises. We saw Jesus in the wilderness surviving the temptations. And the letter to the Hebrews, it reminds us of Jesus, not just in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, but in the garden at the end. 
when the temptation was to say, let this cup pass from me. Sin had its last stand in the garden to get him to abandon ship, to get him to abort mission, to get him to transgress the will of his father. But what did he do in the end? He said, not my will, yours be done. And the letter of Hebrews sums it up like this in Hebrews 5, 7 to 9. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, his fear of God. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect... He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's your source, Christian. Your Savior, who did it himself first, modeled it for you, and then won for you the power you need to do it yourself in your life. If you'll take the Word of God and you'll pray these things and watch your step and claim the promise, and use the Word of God in the midst of the fight, wielding the sword of the Spirit, you too can find that you will have dominion over sin. It won't have dominion over you. Not sinless perfection, but absolutely tremendous progress. We can all go further than where we are. We all can climb that next obstacle and overcome it. So take this verse, Psalm 119, 133, and just make it part of your, of, your, of your heart and life. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Temptation hits you. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Pull that out. Pray that. Use that. Know that. Have it. Ready to go. And I'm telling you, Christian, you'll see victory. You'll see it. You'll feel it. You'll praise God for it. You won't recognize yourself because of the growth. If we just use these simple things that God has given us to overcome and to walk steady with him. Memorize it. Pray it. Use it. Follow Jesus and keep steady. Let's pray. Lord, that's my simple prayer for us here at the end. Keep steady our steps according to your promise. And let no iniquity have dominion over any of us. But let us find in the middle of the struggle, wherever we are today, with whatever it is that tempts us, wherever our weaknesses are, Would you help us to watch our step, to lean on these promises, to use Psalm 119, 133, and to follow the lead of Jesus who did it perfectly for us and offers us the same power to know the same victory in our lives. And let us be just astonished with ourselves as we see our growth, our victory, 
to see the power, the renewal, the energy, the spiritual and moral energy to walk with you. And may our walk with you be more steady than it's ever been as we use these ordinary means of grace to see you do extraordinary things in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.